It is such an honor to be with you all this Sunday morning. I'm so grateful uh, for your pastors for extending this gracious invitation. Um, Pastor Beresford is a big brother to me. And to see the work that him and Pastor Chantal are doing in this great nation. I'm not even going to say the city because I know that this, I'm, though I'm at the broadcasting campus and though I'm talking to you, the online campus, I know that this is a movement that God is going to use to change the nation of Canada and to change the world. So I'm so grateful, big bro, to see the work that you're doing. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this, this series today. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me. We're going to be in the book of Exodus this morning. We're going to be in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, this is the second book in the Bible, the book right after Genesis, Exodus. We'll be in the second chapter today. And man, I have been so blessed by this month's series, Say Grace. I was able to tune into the word last week by Pastor Michelle and my God, my God, my God. Y'all have some preachers here in Serve City. My goodness. So I'm excited to be able to contribute today. So I'll be reading in the New International Version, but please feel free to follow along in whatever translation it is that you may have. And it says, now a man from the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it she opened it and saw the baby he was crying and she felt sorry for him this is one of the hebrew babies she said then his sister asked pharaoh's daughter shall i go and get one of the hebrew women to nurse the baby for you yes go she answered so the girl went and got the baby's mother Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water for our time together i want to speak from this thought as god's spirit shall guide grace in the face of the law somebody write that in the chat grace in the face of the law let's pray father we come before you in the name of jesus we thank you for the fact that you came to save, that you came to redeem, that you came to transform lives through the power of your great gospel. So we pray now in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would open our ears, that we would hear you, that you would open our minds, that we would receive the word that you release. God, that you would open our hearts, that we would not only receive it, but we would receive it with gladness. And we pray that we would see how we can apply it to our lives in this season and in this time. 
I pray that you would anoint me to speak with clarity. God, that your spirit would rest on me. I've studied, I've prepared, Lord, but I pray that you would do through me what only you can as I surrender to your will in this moment. Have your way and may you get the glory both now and forevermore in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So a little bit about myself. I'm a 90s baby, born and raised. 90s, that, that era where hip-hop was poetic, where the music, it hit the soul. The 90s, back when if you didn't have a pager, you weren't really popping. Uh, and, and I know some people might question my ability to rep the 90s because I've heard that you can't rep the era you were born in. You got to rep the era after it because that's the era you were raised in. But let me have this moment. I'm a 90s baby. And while my recollection of the 90s, it may not be as detailed, it may not be as clear as some of my fellow counterparts that were a little older in age in the 90s. There's one thing that I remember in particular. There's a show that I used to watch as a kid, this show called Art Attack. Somebody just throw a hand up in the chat if you remember that show, Art Attack. And one of the things that I loved about this show is that the host of the show, he had this, he had this incredible ability to take the things that seemed useless to the average eye and make a masterpiece out of it. He would take what we would deem to be trash. I literally saw him. He'd take garbage bags. He'd take seemingly useless pieces of metal. He'd take salt. He'd take things that we would render as nothing, and he would make a masterpiece out of it. And it proved to me, it confirmed to me from a young age, I was a child, I wasn't even 10 yet, but I realized that you didn't have to have a lot to be or to do something significant. Having much was not a prerequisite to doing great things. Because you can take average pieces, but once you place them into the right hands, that changes everything. And you see, God, God is a master artist. So masterful he is that he can take a bad backdrop. He can take a compromised canvas and he can make amazing art. Because you see, the things that we call mistakes, he calls divine. What we call an accident, he calls a blessing. And just because we may think that we've had a bad start, Based on the circumstances that we were born into, God can take our lives as we surrender it to him and make it a masterpiece for his glory. Because you see, we don't know what's contained in that which we have until we place it into his hands. Because he redeems, he restores, and dare I say, he also recycles. There is nothing that we go through that is wasted. There is nothing that we go through that is useless. Even the things that seemed useless to us, he uses them to perform and to perfect his glory in and through our lives. He'll enter into the messy places where he found us. And he'll use that same place for a message to proclaim to the nations that he is God. It doesn't matter what the circumstances were. It doesn't matter the cards that we may think that we were dealt or the circumstances that we may find ourselves in. Somebody type in the chat. He's still God enough to do it. 
He's still God enough to do it. And some of us may not have had the best backdrop based on where we come from, based on the neighborhood that we're from, or based on the circumstances that led to our birth or led us to the place that we're in. But hear me, God makes no mistakes. God makes no accidents. Even if you may have heard it from people that know you, even if one of your parents may have told you that you were an accident, you may have been an accident to them. You may not have been on their radar, but you are not an accident in the mind of God because it doesn't matter how it started. God can enter into that place and perform a miracle, not wasting away with the experiences that we thought were wasteful, but using them to perfect the canvas for his glory you may think that because of where you started and all you've seen is brokenness a broken home broken pieces broken relationships broken expectations you think that there's no hope but God can enter into the broken places and take the broken pieces and make a masterpiece because the artist always sees in the pieces what the average eye cannot see. And when you place it into his hands, he can do a work that when it's done, when it's said and done, nobody can get the glory but him. Somebody say God is a master artist. Somebody type that in the chat. He's a master artist. He's a master artist. Moses, he's born in an interesting time in history. If you read one chapter prior in the book of Exodus chapter one, you'll find that the Bible describes a king arising. And the Bible says that this king that arose, he knew not Joseph. If you study the book before Exodus Genesis, it introduces us to a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph, Hebrew in origin, but ended up being sold into slavery and ending up in Egypt because his brothers could not stand the dreams that God was giving him. They intended it for evil, but God had an assignment for his life that was connected to the place that he was sold into so that he could rise to a place of prominence to extend deliverance and salvation to the very same brothers that sold them into slavery. The Bible says that the king knew not Joseph. 350 years have now since passed. And what's amazing is that in the days of Joseph, Joseph was such an incredible leader in Egypt that he led them through a seven-year famine, and not only did they have enough food for everyone in Egypt, but they became the food bank for all the surrounding nations because of the strategy that the Lord gave him. And Israel and Egypt, though different nations, though different people, they worked together for a common purpose because Joseph, God positioned him in a place that he was not from to be a bridge both to those who were from where he was from and to those that were in the place that God was calling him to be in. He was able to bring them together to serve a common purpose as he was faithful to the assignment over his life. But the king, this new king, he knew not Joseph. And though these nations were able to work together, the Bible says that he sees that they're growing. He sees that they are expanding and he is threatened by them. Israel did not display any signs of disloyalty to Egypt. Israel did not threaten to abandon or to attack Egypt. But he said, 
Per adventure, they grow to a place where we can no longer control them. They attach themselves to one of the nations that are against us, and they choose to either war against us or leave us. We got to implement some strategy and some plans of oppression to keep them subjugated to us. It's amazing. They, they, they didn't threaten Egypt in anything that they did, but the fact that they were growing in a place that was not their home, the fact that they were growing in a place that was not intended for them, the fact that they were still thriving, he was threatened. So he says, I don't want them to leave this place, but I don't want them to thrive while they're in this place. So we need to oppress them so they can stay here and serve our purpose, but weaken them to a place that they can't find the strength to produce while they're here. So, so, so this king, as he is implementing this new strategy, the Bible says that the more that they afflicted them, the more that Egypt afflicted the children of Israel is the more that they multiplied and grew. So you'd think that affliction would stop it, but God has an interesting way of causing multiplication even when the enemy comes through with division. He's the only one that can multiply when division is implemented. The enemy comes to divide, to set them apart and to break them down. But the Bible says that the more that they oppressed them, the more that they defeated, the more that they beat them and afflicted them is the more that they multiplied and grew. God can multiply with division. He can add even when the enemy attempts to subtract because he's God enough to do it. So now the king, he's like... What's going on? They, they keep multiplying. They keep growing. So we need to change the strategy. So he approaches the midwives of Israel and he says, this is what y'all need to do. As the women in Israel are getting ready to give birth, what I need you to do is ensure that as they give birth, if it's a, if it's a male child, you got to kill that child. Because Pharaoh understood something that I believe that the enemy also understands. He understood that if you can attack the sun, if you can kill the sun, you can kill the seed. And if you kill the seed, you can kill the future. So you got to understand that the reason why the enemy is fighting so hard is because he sees that there's a seed in the sun. And even though the woman is called to fertilize, there can be no fertilization if there is no seed. And if he kills the sun, he kills the seed. So these, the, the Bible says that the midwives, they feared God. So they said to Pharaoh, they're like, these, these, these women in Israel, they're, 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 so, they're, they're so strong. They're, they're so uh, vigorous in the way that they do what they do that they produce. They give birth to their children before we get there. And they feared God. They didn't want to engage in the, in the king's politics. They didn't want to engage in Pharaoh's tactics. But it's crazy how distance can actually cause you to be oblivious to the things that are going on. Pharaoh is so puffed up. He's so elevated in his privilege that he is not aware of the everyday affairs of the people. He hears the excuse and he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But because of his distance from them, he didn't, he didn't even click in his mind that that don't, that don't make sense. <laughs> but he's like, all right, let's change the strategy. So what we're going to do, since they're giving birth so quickly, whether or not they give birth before you get there or after you get there, as they give birth to male children, I need you to throw the baby into the Nile. This was the law that was instated. That all of the male children were to be cast into the Nile and the Nile was to be the place that they died. 
so it's on this backdrop that we find ourselves with Moses in Exodus 2. Moses, the Bible says that he is born of two Levite parents. And while they're unnamed within our text, as you read further into Exodus, you'll come to the discovery that Moses, his father's name was Amram and his mother's name was Jochebed. They have already had two healthy children. They have a daughter, Miriam, and they have a son, Aaron. They're aware of the death sentence of the newborn boys. And somehow they still choose to have another child. And it's crazy. We live in the 21st century, right? So we have the luxury of having gender reveal parties, right? But Moses, his mother, Jochebed, she was around in a time where that was not the thing. So I can imagine she's probably praying, God, I want one more. I want one more. But please, please make it be a daughter. Make it be a daughter. And she could not know the gender or the sex of the child until the child was born. I grew up in a big family. I'm the oldest of five. And I remember uh, my, my first brother, he came a little bit after me. Not even, he didn't even give me a full year. We're, we're Irish twins, but we're close in age. I'm grateful to God for him. And the next child was another boy, another brother. And shout out to my brothers, man. That, that, that's my squad. That's my squad. But after three boys, we're like, man, God, we need a, we need a sister. We need a sister. We need you to intervene. We need you to make a way. Come on, Lord. There's enough boys in the house. We need a sister in this place. So I remember when my mom was pregnant, and as, 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 as she was getting ready to have the baby, she didn't actually reveal to us what the sex was. She wanted to keep that a surprise until the baby was born. And I remember it was around 1 in the morning, 1 a.m. She called the house, and she said, it's, it's a healthy baby boy. I'm like, oh, man, you know, we, we thank God for a healthy child. We, 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 we praise the Lord. I remember my, my, my third brother, though, he wasn't as happy. He's like, no, I don't want another brother. I don't want another brother. I want a sister. Come on. But my mom actually tricked us. <laughs> and she, she revealed to us that the fourth child was a sister. And I remember how elated, how excited we were because we finally had a sister to join the family. And after, the, after, after our sister, we had to ended off with one more boy. You know, we have our whole, our whole starting lineup. So, so, you know, I remember that ecstatic feeling of joy over having this baby sister. And I can imagine Jochebed praying to God, God, please, please, I understand what's going on. I understand the death sentence. If this is a boy, please make it a girl. Grateful nevertheless, but I can imagine there were probably thoughts of uh, 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 thoughts as to whether or not she did the right thing in having this baby boy. I can imagine people around her time, they, they said, they, they probably said that Moses was an accident. They probably said that what she and Amram did was nonsensical given their awareness of the law that was instated that all the male children were to be cast into the Nile. But I believe... That Amram and Jochebed, though the circumstances were not ideal, they did not see Moses as an accident. And some of you can probably resonate with the experience that Moses probably had in his earlier years. Or, 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 or rather, the, the, the perception that his parents may have had before knowing what was going on. Maybe you heard that you were a mistake. Maybe you heard that you were an accident. Maybe they didn't see you coming, but somebody just pat yourself on the back. You don't even need to write it on the chat. Just tap yourself and say, I'm not a mistake. I'm not a mistake. I'm not an accident. This is on purpose. And you see, the grace of God is evident in the life of Moses, not only 
as he's called to be a witness to Pharaoh, but it's evident in his life from the beginning, from the beginning. And there are four things that I'd like to lift from this text, and I'll be out your way. The first thing that the text teaches us as we read through this Exodus 2 passage is grace hides until the appointed time. Grace hides until the appointed time. And I don't mean grace is hiding from us, but it hides us. Come on here, until the appointed time. It's, it's quite fascinating when you think about it. The text says that Moses' mother saw that, she was a, that he was a fine child, and she hid him for three months. Moses was not inconvenient to her, nor was he an accident to her. She was aware of the challenges surrounding when and how he was born, but resolved within her heart. To do what she could to protect him for as long as she could. Jochebed saw Moses as a gift from the Lord and somebody will get this one tomorrow. Our initial inclination can often be to expose the gifts or the blessings that we have prematurely. But Jochebed teaches us an important lesson. Premature exposure is death. Premature exposure is death. Because hear me, exposure is twofold. It can either make you or break you. It doesn't just shine the light on the things that God does that we want others to see, but it shines the light on everything. And grace has a way of hiding until the appointed time. It's the grace of God that hid Samuel until he could develop his, his public, uh, until he could privately develop for his calling to be a public witness, a public prophet to the nations is grace that hid him and allowed him to develop in, in that season before he was revealed. It's the grace of God that covered and kept David even after Samuel, this same Samuel anointed him as king after he defeated Goliath and brought him back to the pasture to serve his father's sheep. It's the grace of God that kept Joshua tucked away as he was watching Moses, as he was serving faithfully, being able to develop in private before he was called to lead the people in public. Grace, it has a way of hiding until the appointed time. Hides until the appointed time. And at times we can get so tempted to reveal what God has given to us that he's intended to be hidden in this season. God might have some of us in a hidden season, but because we're so excited about the gift that he's given, we want to tell everybody, man, look at, look at what God did. Look at, look at, look at, look at, look at this, look at this new phone I got. Look at this thing. And some of us may be in a season where God is still trying to develop some things before we expose it. Because as we expose it, it exposes us. As we expose it, it exposes everything in us. It don't just expose the good, but it exposes the good, the bad, and the ugly. So God has a way of hiding us in his grace. This needs to be somebody's prayer for the rest of 2021. Lord, help me to stay hidden until the appointed time. I don't want him to reveal me before he's ready to. Because we see the glory that comes with the lights, but we don't see the pain, the difficulty, and the trials that come with the exposure. And if you expose yourself prematurely or the gifts that you have before it's time, premature exposure is death. And Jochebed, she understood this principle. Jochebed, she didn't waste her weight. But catch this, I believe 
that she maximized her season of waiting. The Bible said that she hid him for three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket and placed him along the bank of the Nile by the reeds. Brilliant, brilliant. She, she has this strategy. But I had to ask the question, how in the world did she come to discover this strategy? And I've come to this conclusion, Pastor. I, I believe that as Jochebed was in this season of hiding with Moses, she didn't just use this season to hide Moses, but she used this season to talk to the father. She used this season to get in tune with the voice of God because God has a way of revealing to us what he wants us to do in the next season, in the hidden season. And it's as we tap into his presence, it's as we connect with him in prayer that he reveals the strategy in the secret place. Somebody say it happens in hiding. It happens in the hidden season. It happens in the hidden season. Three months. And as she's hiding Moses, God gives her this strategy to place him inside of this basket of papyrus so that he could be preserved. And it required a dependence on God in order, for her, in order for her to see how to preserve and protect his life in a world that wanted to do nothing other than to kill her baby boy. Because your strategy, the strategy, it's revealed in prayer. The blueprint that God has for the next is revealed in prayer. And it's in leaning into the grace of God. That gave that, that, that he offered to Moses, that he offered to Jochebed, that she was pushed to a place of prayer to get an understanding of how he was to be preserved as it was time to release him. Somebody type in the chat. Somebody type in the chat. Don't stop praying. I know we're in the midst of a pandemic. I know some of you are probably wondering, how did I end up here? How am I going to get out of here? But don't stop praying it may seem that the enemy is getting consecutive victories like there's no way that God is going to show up but don't stop praying maybe it seems that he's been silent for a season maybe it seems that you haven't been hearing him that you haven't been receiving answers in prayer but don't stop praying and Jesus he says these words in John 16 33 I've told you this that in me you might have in this world you will have trouble but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world and he does not say that his peace will exempt us from trouble Jochebed finds herself right in the midst of trouble but God meets her right in the midst of the trouble that she's in and he releases a strategy in the place of prayer to save the life of her son because prayer it allows us to experience God's peace but it also allows for us to be in position to receive the release of God's strategy for how to handle the gift that he's given to us in light of the reality of what we see. Moses, he can no longer be hidden. And she places him into a papyrus basket, seals it with tar and pitch and places it by the reeds. Here's the second key in the text. Grace doesn't always make sense. But it makes ways. Imagine being Jochebed, the uncertainty that she must have felt not knowing how the life of her young son would be spared, but being faithful enough to act on the strategy that God revealed to her. And remember the law now. The law says that 
all of the newborn male children of Hebrew descent, they are to be cast into the Nile. And grace finds a way to not break the law, but to break through the power and the confines of the law to bring safety to us. It's found, it's, it's, it's as she is found in the place of prayer, in the place of contemplation with the Lord, that she is able to be perceptive to the strategy. But God will give the strategy, but it's on us to obey what he says. And sometimes he'll reveal things to us that literally does not make sense. But the, just because it doesn't make sense does not mean that God doesn't know what he's doing. Because I've come to discover that his ways may not always align with our expectation. It may not always align with our wants, but he knows what he's doing. Somebody type that in the chat. God knows what he's doing. If it's found that she's hiding Moses in the house, he dies. If he's cast into the Nile, he dies. But somehow God in his grace presents an alternative. The law is not broken, but its effects do not result in the premature ending of Moses's life. And I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. I am. I think Shakespeare says this. He says young in limbs in judgment old. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a product of the new school based on the fact that I'm a, I'm a millennial based on when I grew up. But I'm also a bit of a product of the old school. I came up in a church where we used to read the King James Bible, King James Version Bible all day long. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody grew up in that kind of church? It was, it was, I, I used to, I used to enjoy it because, you know, it gave me some Shakespearean English, but I, I, I'm not going to lie. I had to press through some thuses and some thous and I had a hard time wrapping my mind and my tongue around it. But somehow I, I, I felt led to go back to my roots and I started to read the, 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 the King James Version, I looked at this passage in the King James Version and verse 3, it reveals something very interesting to me in, in the King James Version. Uh, it describes Moses' basket. As it describes the basket, it reads like this. And when she, when Jochebed could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes. Don't miss this. What we call a basket, Jochebed called an ark. And if you dig a little deeper into the Hebrew, the word that's used for ark in Exodus 2 verse 3, Teba is the same word that's used in Genesis in reference to the ark that Noah used and entered into to preserve his family from the impending flood. So it amazes me that God could use an ark to preserve Noah and his family and in the same way though this ark might have been a smaller ark God uses an ark to preserve Moses God uses an ark to keep him in the midst of the water that was meant to be his demise the very rivers that was to result in his death God uses an ark to preserve him in the river he's hidden in the place that he should have died because God has a way of showing up and of doing the impossible he shows up in the impossible and he places a comma right where the I is before the M and he says I'm possible he says I can do it he says I can make it happen he says there is nothing too hard for me there is nothing too great for me I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna put you in an ark in the place that you were meant to die in Somebody say, God's going to show up right in the midst of it. 
God's going to show up right in the midst of it. In the midst of the Nile that was meant for his demise, God had a way of releasing a strategy to Jochebed to place her son in an ark. And as she placed him in that ark, the ark became the place where he was redefined. Because his name Moses means Moshe, drawn out of water. The water that was meant to kill him is the water that he was drawn out of. And here it is. My, my, my time is far spent. Let me, let me move along. Let me move along. God releases the strategy to Jochebed. And he has a funny way of using the foolish things to shame and to confound the wise. He'll use the weak things of the world to put the strong to shame. The ark was not intended to be a means of exposure. But watch this. It was intended to be a symbol of salvation. It was a symbol and a sign of the grace of God. The salvation of the Lord. It didn't wait for us to get to him. But God met us in the place that we found ourselves. He met us in the middle of the mess. He met us in the low place and he preserved us in his ark. He preserved us in his ark. The strategy, it may not make sense to our minds, but as we are obedient to God's strategy, we'll see that he's able to preserve us in the very place that was meant to destroy us. His ways may not always make sense to our minds, but his grace is sufficient. His grace may not, we may not even know how his grace is going to meet us in the places that we find ourselves in. But I wonder if I have a witness in the chat. Throw up your hands if you're, if you're with me. That he still makes ways, that he still delivers, that he still opens doors, that he still provides, and he still shows up with this bold declaration, I'm still God. I'm still God. It may look hopeless, but he's still God. It may look broken, but he's still God. It may look like a place I'm going to drown in, but he's still God. And if God be God, we will follow his will. We will follow his will. Because you see, we all wrestle with doubt. It's hard to trust God sometimes because the instructions that he gives don't make sense to our minds. And we'll feel feelings of uncertainty. We'll feel feelings of hopelessness that will at times stop us from seeing the strategy that he's given us right in the place that we are. Because grace doesn't always make sense. But somebody type in the chat, it makes ways, it makes ways, it makes ways, it makes ways, it makes ways. It makes ways. And if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, here's the third key in the text. I'm going to give you four. I'm not going to do a, a three-point Baptist sermon today. <laughs> but here's, here, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Grace changes the narrative. Grace changes the narrative. I wonder if I have a witness watching in the chat that can say, not only was I prone to sinking, I already started to sink deep in some of the mess and the sin that I was in. But he met me in the place of my mess. And he placed me in his ark. The devil tried to deceive you into thinking that you were the mess that you were in. The devil tries to define us by the environment. But God has a way of showing up in the environment. And even if he don't take us out, he enters into it with us. And he shows you, though you were in it, 
that's not who you are. Though you were there, that's not what you are. And he has a way of proving to us by the way that he shows up in the place of mess that only he and he alone could have rescued us from it. Grace is not based on merit. If, I, if it was based on my good works, I couldn't pay myself to enter into his grace. But he met me in the place that he did and he showed me that his grace, it is accessed by faith in Christ. We can't pay our way into salvation. We can't pay our way into deliverance. We can't pay our way into transformation. Come on, be honest. If it's up to some of us, we should have died in the place that he found us. But he stepped right down there. He stepped in the middle of the place that he found us. And he rescued us and saved us in a way that the testimony could be. This could only be God. This could only be God. This could only be God. I love this story. Because Moses, his, his, his eulogy should have read, in fact, he should have died before three months. He should have died, but because God moved on Jochebed's heart to preserve him and protect him, because he was hidden instead of being exposed, he had three extra months to live. But based on the law in Egypt, his eulogy, his eulogy should have read this. Moses, born to Amram and Jochebed, lived three months and died. But God had a way of releasing the strategy. And not only did he release the strategy, but as, she, as, as, as Jochebed placed Moses into the ark, the ark became the place of the redefinition. He, she placed him in the ark by the bulrushes. And the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter goes to clean herself. She goes to bathe. And it just shows how significant that Nile River must have been for the daughter of Pharaoh. Instead of showering in her house or showering somewhere else, she goes to the Nile. And as she sees this, she, she, she likely heard the cry of Moses in the Nile as he was wrapped in this basket. And she approaches it and she tells one of her slaves to open the basket. She sees him. She knows he's different. She knows he's not from where she's from. She knows he's a Hebrew baby, but she said, this must be one of those Hebrew boys. But she was moved with compassion toward him. And the Bible says that Moses' sister Miriam was positioned there as, 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 the daughter of, as the daughter of Pharaoh saw the baby. And she said, do you, do you, want, me to, do you want me to go and get one of the, uh, the Hebrew women to, to help raise him? She said, yeah, do it, do it, do it. Go call one of them. And it's so amazing to me how God is able to change the story, to change the script in the place of the water. Because Moses, his mom gave birth to him. And I can imagine that she was wondering what was going to happen to him. But the place that he received his name and the place that his identity was prophetically declared over him was in the water. As God changed the narrative, he was supposed to die. But it was in that place where he was supposed to die that God lifted him up. This is bonus. This is bonus. But the ark, it does three things. The ark, it covers. The ark, it lifts. And the ark, it delivers. Come on. He's sealed in the ark. The ark preserves him from sinking in the water. And the ark delivers him to the daughter of Pharaoh. And I want to leave you with one more, one more, one more, if that's all right. Grace, not only does it change the narrative, but it redeems the lost. Grace redeems the lost. I can imagine Jochebed, she thinks that she's lost time. She's lost 
the opportunity to nurture her son, and she's lost her son. Because though God gives her the strategy, there's still that thought of uncertainty playing in her mind. Will this really work? But it's as she releases to God the very gift that he's given, that not only does she see God make a return, but God adds interest to the return. But you can't see a return unless and until you release. And sometimes we want to hold on to the gifts God has given us. How are we going to live without it? How are we going to do without it? I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 22, where the Bible tells the story of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac. And God, he tells Abraham to, 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 go, to, uh, to go to Moriah, the land of Moriah, and to offer his son as a sacrifice. I can imagine he waited so long to have this son. He's, in old, he's old in age, old, old, old. And this is the son that he's taking pride and joy in. And God says, I need you to offer him as a sacrifice. I need you to sacrifice this son. And he tells some of his men, he's like, y'all go watch the donkeys. We're going to go up and worship. And then we're going to come back down and join you. His son, he sees that his father has the wood. He sees that he has the fire. But he's like, dad, where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice? The Bible says that as he laid down his son on the altar, there was a ram in the thicket. The provision was waiting for him, but he didn't see it until he released. What are we holding on to that God is calling us to release? Some of us, it may be, it may be that job that we don't know how we're going to, we don't know how we're going to make ends meet. We don't know how we're going to do it. And God is just saying, just release the burden to me some of you are trying to figure out how things are going to work out with your son how things are going to work out with your daughter and God is saying release it to me some of us are saying God how are you going to use the gift that you've given me and we hold on to it we try to hoard it when God is saying release it because it's only as you release it that you can see me do what only I can do through it he redeems the lost. He redeems the lost. And as I'm getting ready to close, as I'm getting ready to close, the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter, right, she paid for, uh, she, she paid for, for, for Jochebed to raise the, to, to, to raise the child. She paid for Jochebed to nurture the child and it's Pharaoh's daughter who gave him his name. She said, I'm going to call you Moses because I've drawn you out of water. And grace, it may require us to let go of some things. But God has a funny way. He has an interesting way of not breaking the law, but entering into it. Facing it head on to rescue us from what we could not rescue ourselves from. I'm sure for some of you Bible scholars, Bible readers, you're probably like, I see a parallel between Jesus and Moses. Both of them were born in a time where children that were born at this time, born of the same descent as them, were to be killed. For Joseph, it was Pharaoh. Uh, sorry, not for Joseph. For, uh, for, for, for Moses, it was Pharaoh. For Jesus, Herod was after all of the Hebrew boys and wanted to kill them. Both 
Moses and Jesus were hidden in a secret place. They both had a divine purpose to bring liberation, to bring restoration, to bring salvation through, through God to a specific people. Moses to Israel, Jesus to the nations. But as I was looking at this text and looking at the parallels, something jumped out to me. A distinct difference. And I'm going to close here. Moses had an ark. But Jesus didn't. Moses had an ark, but Jesus didn't. And it occurred to me that Jesus didn't have an ark because he became the ark. The ark is a symbol of God's grace. The ark is a symbol of God's deliverance. And Jesus is the embodiment of it. What Moses experienced, Jesus offers. What Moses was kept in, Jesus keeps us in. What Moses needed, Jesus became because Jesus is the ark of our salvation. He's the ark. He's the ark. He's the ark. He's the ark. And Charles Spurgeon, he said this powerful thing in one of his sermons, one of his renowned sermons, the parable of the ark. He said, now sinner... The Christ I preach to you is such a refuge as that. His gospel has no flaw in it. As the ark never sank and the elements never prevailed against it, so Christ never failed. He cannot fail. All the principalities and powers are subject unto him. And those who are in Christ, those who enter into the ark of Christ, are sheltered from every storm. They shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of his hand. And before I pray, I want you to just lift your hands in the chat. If you're grateful for the fact that you didn't know where an ark was going to come from and Jesus became the ark of your salvation. Jesus became the solution. He entered in. The Bible says that he came not to break the law, but that through him the law might be fulfilled. He faced it head on. He knew the debt that we owed. He knew the sins that we committed. He saw the price that it costed. And he paid it in full with his life and with his blood. And I'm so grateful for the fact that he is the embodiment of grace in the face of the law. I'm so grateful that what I did not deserve, he came down, he stepped down to the place that I was and he said, I love you anyway. I'll cleanse you anyway. You don't have to clean yourself before you enter into the ark. But just like a shower, we don't wash ourselves before we enter into it. We go in to get clean. We go in to get washed. You may not know him personally. You may not have encountered him yet. But you hear this message. You've heard the other messages. And I just want to let you know that God's grace is sufficient. It's powerful enough to meet you right where you are. Maybe you think you're unqualified because of the mess you did. Maybe you think you're unqualified because of the mistakes you've made. Maybe you think you're unqualified because of what happened to you. But the Lord is saying that you're my son, you're my daughter, and I can wash you, I can cleanse you and make you over. Come on into the ark. Come on into the ark. I'll preserve you, I'll protect you, and I'll snatch you out of the pits of hell. And I'll use the testimony, I'll use the mess, like the master artist that I am, to use your life and your testimony as a display of my glory.
He's able to do it. As we bring the pieces that we have, the broken pieces, the, 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 the pieces that we think have no value, he's able to make a masterpiece as we surrender and release it to him. Somebody type in the chat one more time. Release it, release it, release it. Wherever you are, I invite you to lift your hands, bow your head, close your eyes. Father, we thank you for the fact that you sent your son as the embodiment of grace. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. We thank you that you were true enough to not bend or break the law, but you were gracious enough to surrender your life to satisfy the penalty of sin that we incurred based on the wages, based on the, the, the life that we chose. And you saved us. And I pray for those who may not know you, God, that you would visit them and meet them right where they are as they're watching this message. Meet them in the place that they are. Let them know, Lord God, that they are not too messed up to enter into the ark. That they're not too dirty to enter into the ark. But your grace, your grace is sufficient. So I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, God, that you would move on their hearts, that you would move in their lives, and God, that they would see that the greatest life is found in following Christ. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you that you're not finished yet, but you're just getting started. Take every piece from the pieces of our lives. And God, I pray that you would make a masterpiece for your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Your grace and mercy brought me through. Yes, Lord. Come on. I'm living this moment. Come on, sing it where you are. Because of you. Come on, if you know it, it's an oldie. And I want to thank you. Yes, Lord. And praise you too. Hallelujah. Because your grace and mercy brought me through. Praise the Lord. Listen, where you are in the chat can we go ahead and put those hands together and even here at our broadcast location and give god praise for that incredible message come on we can do better than that such an anointed word of the lord for this fourth part of our say grace series pastor mccare we're so grateful for you we thank you for that word man i gotta go and re-listen to that again it was so potent so encouraging so relevant for this season especially when we are hidden in this time with this pandemic that god is really doing stuff right now and we can maximize this moment 
for when it is that it's unveiling season. And I'm just excited about this. Listen, even if you are just tuning in, I want you to make sure you go back and re-watch this. If you're watching in the replay, go ahead and share this with your friends because this indeed is a word that needs to be heard. Praise the Lord. But listen, we would be remiss if we did not end this service with giving someone an opportunity. And don't tune me out as of yet without giving someone an opportunity to put their trust and faith in this Jesus that Pastor McCare taught about. This Jesus who is the ark. This Jesus who is a savior. He's a savior from sin. Somebody saying, what on earth is sin? The Bible makes it clear that our first parents, Adam and Eve, that they disobeyed God. And consequently, as a result of them disobeying God, there is something that is called sin and separation from God that's passed down in a hereditary fashion to all of mankind. And this is why it is that the Bible declares and says in Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. And so the fact is that no matter how good you think you are, no matter how many good deeds you've done, no matter how many old ladies you help across the street or any of that type of stuff, there is nothing you and I can do to buy ourselves out of sin, as Pastor McCare was sharing on today. And so the thing is, the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So it's not just that we're sinners, but we die. Physical death. I don't have to convince you that people are dying physically. But the fact of the matter is that the Bible makes it clear that as a result of this sin, that we are destined and we are headed for a place called hell. Hell is real. Even though a lot of people don't want to talk about it today, it is real. And it is a place where people who are aside from God and aside from having a relationship with Jesus, they ultimately will go there. And the Bible says there is torment for ever but the good news somebody say good news come on right in your right there in the chat put good news the good news is that although this is devastating and this is the case be part of Romans 6 23 says that the gift of God somebody say the gift of God gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord hallelujah anybody grateful for eternal life and what does this mean Bible makes it clear over 2,000 years ago that Yahweh, the Most High God, put on flesh and came into the earth in the name of Jesus or Yeshua, which means Yahweh rescues or Yahweh is salvation. The Most High God came into earth and put on flesh and says, I'm not going to leave you stranded, but I, I'm going to bring you not only back into relationship with me, but also save you from this thing called death and hell. And so if you die, you get to go and be with Jesus. Not only this, but you, for eternity and eternity to come, you and I, if you put trust in Christ, we get to have life eternal. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Romans 10 and 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, if you ask him to be the Lord and the boss and the king of your life, and if you truly believe in your heart that God has raised him from death, because Jesus, he came, he lived perfect on your behalf, he died on your behalf, but on the third day, he rose up from death, 
with all power miraculously and if you believe this if you put your trust and your faith in Jesus you give him your life you too can have this gift of eternal life not about how perfect you are not about what you can do or not do it's about what he has already done and so today we extend this to you this is the most important decision you could ever make in your life if you feel the tugging on your heart and if you feel this and you're like, now is the time, I want to trust Christ and give my life to him. Or if somebody, you might have run away from God. Guess what? You were running, but you were just running in his hand. The Bible says no one can pluck you out of his hand if you truly have relationship with him. And so even though you were running, you were running in his hand. And so today you can say, you know, what? I'm going to stop running and get back into embracing and being in fellowship with you. So if you've run away, if you've been running... And today you're saying, I want to come back home. I want to restore fellowship with my Christ today. Whether it's your first time or you're coming back home, we want to extend this opportunity to you. I'm getting ready to lead a prayer of commitment. It's not a prayer that saves. It's Jesus who saves. But this prayer is simply a prayer saying, I'm drawing a line in the sand. Today I want to make this decision to put my faith and my trust in Christ. If that person is you, this is the good news. Here it is on the count of three. If you're like, include me in that prayer, Pastor Andrew. On the count of three, I want you right there in your living room. Even if you are brave enough in the chat, I want you to go ahead and pop up a hands up emoji so that our online host can see. If you're like, today is my day. Here we go. On the count of three. One, two. Three, come on, pop that hand up where you are in your car, your living room. Come on, I see those hands in the spirit. Someone today who is making the decision for the first time or coming back home. And I want now for you to pray this prayer with me out loud. If it's your first time or even if you are already a believer, pray this in support of those who are praying it for the first time or coming home. And as an affirmation of the faith that you already have in Christ. Here we go. We say, God, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and rising from death with all power. Be the Lord of my life. Be with me now and forevermore. I thank you for doing it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, come on, somebody. We're going nuts at the broadcast campus online. Come on, somebody put clapping hand emojis in the chat for those who have made a decision for Christ for the first time or those who are coming back home. We give the Lord praise for all of you on today.